All right, everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James. I'm your host, and today is episode 34. So before I dive into episode 34, I wanted to take a moment and thank you all for listening. Thanks for your reviews. Thanks for downloading the episodes. Thanks for finding us wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really is helping to grow the show, and we are super appreciative. So like I mentioned last time, we've crossed that thousand download barrier, and that's awesome. That means people are actually listening to it more than just my mom and my family. So super thanks to all of you out there. Today's episode is one of those episodes that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Today we're going to talk all about the history of spam. Now, spam is a very interesting uh, food, and it has an interesting reputation. I think a lot of us have that notion of, you know, canned mystery meat. What's really inside it? Is it really good? Ew, it's spam. I'm not going to touch that. No way. Disgusting. Yeah, what, you know, whatever. We all have some preconceived notion out there when it comes to spam. I had a buddy... Uh, several years ago that introduced me to spam and I still remember to this day being so hesitant to try it. It was something that I'd always avoided in the grocery store, never had any desire to buy it. And he fried it up in the pan, put it on some bread with tomato and mayo. And it was a spam uh, tomato sandwich. And it was just so good. It was just crispy and fatty and salty and delicious. It was just really, reminded me of really good bacon. So if you're curious about Spam and its origins and why it's such a big deal today and why it's such a big deal in Hawaii and (laughs) all of that, listen up. It's going to be a great episode for you. So I'm going to dive right in. The uh, history of Spam is fascinating. It spans a long time from the 1930s to where we are today. And of course, many people wonder where spam came from and what is actually inside that magical can. And uh, not many people are going to be very high on spam these days. Like I said, it kind of has a negative uh, reputation out there, but many people will criticize spam for, of all things, its lack of nutritional value. And a can of Spam, it can be high in fat, sodium, preservatives. If you were to actually sit down and eat the entire can of Spam, you'd consume 100 grams of fat, 1,000 calories, 246 milligrams or so of cholesterol, and 4,696 milligrams of sodium. Now that sodium intake alone is roughly double the recommended daily sodium intake. Now, like I said, I'll be the first to admit that I was once a hater. I was very against spam. I was someone who bought into that hype that spam had to be a mystery meat. I mean, do we really know what's in it? Actually, we do really know what's in it, and it actually surprised me. I never stopped to look at the ingredients uh, other than, 
you know, maybe a few times, but I couldn't really recall what was inside of it or what was on the uh, nutrition label or the ingredient list. So actually looking up, uh, Hormel is the manufacturer of Spam. They're, they've owned the recipe. They've owned the product since it was launched. And they're actually very transparent about the ingredients inside of every can of Spam and every can of Spam. And uh, there's only six ingredients. Each can is going to contain pork shoulder, ham, salt, water, sugar, potato starch, and sodium nitrate. That's it. (laughs) End of story. Now, that ingredient list is also going to make up the ingredient list for a lot of hot dogs that we eat. So if you are more than willing to sit down and eat a hot dog, then you should be more than willing to sit down and eat a can of Spam. There's nothing mysterious here, and there's no crazy conspiracy to unravel. So the origins of Spam. When discussing the history of Spam, I think it's best to start with the name. Where did this funny-sounding name come from? Some people think, and this is from uh, Hormel's actual website on Spam, Uh, They have a lot of different ideas. Even they aren't willing to uh, disclose where the name actually came from. So some people think it stands for spiced ham. That is the uh, overwhelming consensus of what it stands for. Other logical guesses have included uh, special processed American meat. So spam, special processed American meat, and shoulders of pork and ham. So, Ken Dagnow, the brother of a Hormel executive back in the 1930s, he won a contest to name this new product that Hormel was coming out with. And he was awarded $100 for winning the contest. And legend has it that only a few former Hormel executives actually know what SPAM stands for today. So I guess we can thank Ken for coming up with the official name of SPAM and also for knowing what it actually means. The rest of us are just left to our own devices on trying to figure out what it actually means. So Hormel unleashed the iconic can of Spam on the world in July 5th, 1937. And the timing was perfect for sales to really take off. It filled a particular need. It fed America's warriors in World War II. And it also fed people back home. When food rationing was going on, it was something that you could put on the shelf and it was going to last for a long time and something that you could use in a variety of applications. And feeding America's soldiers was no easy task and there was always a shortage of fresh meat. So uh, Spam and other manufacturers that were creating canned meats, uh, they sent them right to uh, the soldiers overseas. So soldiers had a lot of negative opinions on Spam. And I think they would have had a negative opinion on anything that they were eating as part of their three meals a day. And not having a lot of variety. So some of the nicknames that they came up with was ham that didn't pass its physical, 
meatloaf without basic training, and special army meat. Now, because of World War II, that really contributed to spam spread throughout the world. It became a thing in the United Kingdom. It became a thing in the Pacific, in the Philippines, in South Korea, in Guam, and, of course, in Hawaii. So soldiers would eat it during World War II, during the Korean War, and they, as a result, they would have it with them all over the place. And just like it was hard for soldiers to gain access to fresh meat, it was also hard for the locals, wherever the soldiers were, it was hard for them to get fresh meat. And so spam became an an easy form of protein for everyone to get a hold of. During World War II, many Pacific islands adopted spam again, because it was an abundant source of protein. However, I wondered why it was and still is big in Hawaii. Now, during World War II, the United States government placed Japanese-American citizens in internment camps. However, they couldn't do the same thing in Hawaii. So instead of placing the Japanese-Americans in Hawaii in camps, they placed a number of unfair restrictions on the entire population of Hawaii. One of those restrictions was a ban on fishing, and without being able to turn to fish for protein needs, Hawaiians turned to spam, and it stuck. And the rest is history. So after the war, Hormel received a healthy dose of backlash over spam. Soldiers were sick of spam, They didn't want to eat it out in the field, and they didn't want to eat it when they came home. So when they came home and their moms and their wives were cooking with Spam, they quickly, quickly put an end to that. It went from a popular center-of-the-plate protein to an afterthought. Today, Spam is still huge in Hawaii, and a number of popular dishes contain Spam, and some of their leading chefs and culinary experts in the state have embraced it and adopted it. They are also a number of dishes at McDonald's on the breakfast menu and other restaurants, other fast food restaurants that have spam in them and they incorporate spam. So they embrace that local culture. And uh, though the popularity in Hawaii eclipses anything that you might find on the mainland, you know, they even have their own festival for spam. They call it the Spam Jam. And that started as a way for locals and chefs to mingle with tourists and vice versa. And uh, now it's just this great party and event to raise food and money for the local food bank. So it's a great cause. Spam continues to push forward and evolve through the years. Restaurant chefs around the country, around the world, have started making their own versions as well as adopting uh, Spam from the can for their recipes. And Hormel keeps an eye on these trends in the restaurant industry, and it's not afraid to introduce different flavors and varieties of Spam through the years. Some some brands out there, some uh, products that we've gone through, they stick with one variation. Spam has had many variations through the years, and I'll read through some of those in a minute. So how is Spam actually made, right? 
we've talked about how there's no real mystery in the ingredients. Well, Hormel is also very transparent about how they make the product. First, they grind the pork shoulder and the ham together. Then they add the remaining four ingredients, the water, the potato starch, the sugar, and the nitrates, nitrites. And then they blend them, mix them for 20 minutes until it reaches the proper temperature. From that point, they're packed in cans and then vacuum sealed. And an interesting fact about the vacuum sealing, that was something that other companies in the 1930s were not doing. And it was something that Hormel did to prevent the meat from sweating and having a gross look and texture when it came out of the can. So the vacuum sealing has actually been a really important part, a real important aspect of Spam. After they're sealed, they're cooked for three hours and then labeled before being shipped around the world. So some of these different flavors, and they've had a lot, you have the Spam Classic, that's the original flavor. You have Spam Hot and Spicy, that has Tabasco dotted throughout. Jalapeno Spam, Spam with Black Pepper. Uh, low Sodium Spam, uh, Spam Light with lower fat, lower sodium. And that one also includes chicken in addition to the pork and ham. You have Spam Oven Roasted Turkey, Spam Hickory Smoked. Uh, spam spread for if you're a spreader not a slicer it's just like spam classic but it's in a spreadable form spam bacon spam cheese spam garlic spam teriyaki spam chorizo spam boracua it's seasoned puerto rican style flavor spam macadamia nuts spam turkey spam tocino spam portuguese sausage and one that I wish I had tried last year, Spam Pumpkin Spice. That was a limited edition variety released in late September 2019. I might have to try and see if I can find that one online somewhere and see if I can try it because I just don't see how those flavors uh, lend themselves to Spam. And then in addition to the variety of flavors, they've also changed the size, the shape. They have singles, they have smaller cans, they have classic they have spread. Uh, so there's really something for everyone here. So now I'm going to end with some fun facts on spam. There are 12.8 cans of spam eaten every second. That's a lot of spam. There are 15 different varieties of spam. Like I said, not afraid to experiment with different flavors and different variations. Spam is sold in 44 countries around the world. Over 8 billion cans of Spam have been sold. They hit that mark in 2012 when the 8 billionth can was sold. Big Ben in England is 1,163 Spam cans tall. It makes me want to start measuring uh, heights in terms of Spam cans. It would be great to walk up to people and say I'm X number of Spam cans tall. The Kanjo is a banjo made from a Spam can. Guam residents eat a lot of Spam. A lot of Spam. They consume an annual 16 cans of Spam per resident. Hawaii eats 7 million cans of Spam every year. And in Southeast Asia, Spam is given as a luxury item. It's a luxury gift. It was kind of their strategy when they went into Asia. Uh... 
that they started treating it like this luxury good and it really took off. It would take 415,469,599 cans of spam to circle the globe. One spam factory produces 350 cans of spam a minute. Spam starred on Broadway in Monty Python's Spamalot. Not many of us can say we starred on Broadway, while well, spam can. Over 100 million pounds of spam was shipped overseas to feed troops during World War II. So you can kind of understand why that ended up being a major thing for soldiers and a major thing for the populations where these soldiers were living because one soldier can only eat so much spam before they start trading it and giving it to locals in exchange for other things. And then, of course, they're going to develop a taste for it and it's going to take off. So um, interesting. It's interesting. I found that interesting that spread throughout the world through World War II, that it kind of hit that sweet spot of being the uh, a solution for a problem that hadn't happened yet. You know, 1937, things hadn't really kicked off yet in the war for the United States, and in the early 40s it had. And so it really hit at a time to uh, fill a particular need, both here in the United States and also abroad. And it's just stuck around ever since then. It's really quite the American product. That's all I have about spam today. I hope that everyone's doing great out there, that everyone's staying safe, staying healthy, and being happy during these difficult times. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you heard, make sure you give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And with all of the social distancing right now, with all of the downtime, share it with someone that might need a little bit of a lift or might need something to do. It's really going to help grow the show and help us reach new listeners and a wider audience. Again, thanks for listening. Until next week.